Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Cotton Story, sponsored by E3 Sustainable Cottons. I'm Jennifer Crumpler, Fiber Development Manager and Manager of the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program from BASF, and I'll be the host of today's program. Today, our program, um, we continue on our series entitled Talking Textiles. Um, as those of our listeners who have listened to some of our other episodes in the series, you know, we have really had a wide range of guests on the show. Um, we have talked from, you know, those working at the mill, on the mill floor for the equipment, some of the top management, schools, um, organizations, and others. And we really just kind of focus on, hey, what's the current market, the different types of textiles, sustainability trade, um, and really, you know, the use of cotton in today's market. So I'm really excited about today's um, guest, and as always, really excited to have um, Bob Anishak with us. So Bob, you guys getting all ready for um, Thanksgiving and getting everything cooked, ready to go? We are, Jennifer, and in fact, it's going to be a very, very easy meal. That's all I'll say. So. <laughs> well, Bob, you know, I have a feeling I'm sure it will be. I mean, it will be. Know. It will it'll come in from a restaurant, <laughs> and uh, it'll be great. Well, hey, you know, just saying for a little bit more, you know, they'll bring, probably bring it in and set it up for you. I'm just yeah, that, for that's a good correct. Tip. <laughs> that, that is a good tip. Thank you very much. Oh. <laughs> good deal. Well, and again, as I said, I'm really excited and um, have the pleasure to introduce today's guest who he's been on our show before, um, but still his wealth of knowledge and all that he brings to the industry. Um, I'm sure he will. We will continue to have him be a guest many more times in the future. Um, but Augie Tantillo, a textile industry consultant and the former um, CEO of the National Council of Textile Organizations, is here today to talk with us. So, Augie, how's everything going? Um, and again, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks, Jennifer. Um, really glad to be here and look forward to our discussion this morning. Absolutely. Um, so, Augie, I know I'm in probably most of our listeners who listen in, they know who you are. And we all know you've had such an accomplished career in um, Washington, D.C. in the textile industry. You've worked in the trade policy arena for many years. Um, you're definitely an expert in global textile trade policy, government relations. And, you know, we're definitely going to ask about kind of the current what's happening. I feel like the last year and a half has just been a whole lot of wow. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening and affecting textiles and cotton. But before we jump into that um, and get those updates, I would love to know if you could maybe just give our listeners, um, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your background, just so we can learn a little bit about you. Uh, sure. Uh, as is the case with most people who uh, been fortunate in their career. Uh, Jennifer, I got a, a very lucky break early on uh, in the 80s. I, I got a job on Capitol Hill that I wasn't necessarily uh, qualified for, but did that for six or seven years, and it helped me really learn uh, how Congress works, uh, how the U.S. government makes policy, so forth and so on, and uh, that opened the door for me to be appointed uh, under the Herbert Walker Bush administration um, as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Textiles and, and Apparel. Again, a, a great opportunity for, for me. I actually was part of the U.S. Uh, government negotiating team on NAFTA. Um, and after that stint at the Commerce Department, I 
went into consulting and for the better part of 30 years or so have uh, represented the domestic industry in one form or another in Washington, the latest uh, of which uh, you noted as, as CEO of, of NCTO, which um, represents virtually the entire spectrum of, of domestic textile production. Thanks for that, Augie. Listen, you and I have known each other for many, many years. Uh, our career started <laughs> the same time in the eighties, um, mm-hmm. just that you were uh, successful. <laughs> I'm still, <laughs> I'm still working for a living. So, yeah. but, but uh, because I've known you. But you so know, Bob, I don't know. So my husband met Bob one day and, you know, and my husband has offered many times to help Bob learn how to um, goof off in retirement and, and enjoy retirement and piddle <laughs> around. So I still can't figure this out because we have offered many times, Bob. <laughs> That's true. That's true, Jennifer, actually. That's really true. <laughs> oh, man. But, um, Augie, t- talk to us a little bit about uh, this one question I want to ask you about CAFTA. Uh, um, there are rumors floating around. I've heard it and I've heard from other folks that uh, the Biden administration may be looking to restructure CAFTA's rules of origin. And they're doing that, I guess, because of the the, uh, migration crisis out of Central America. What can you you say about that? Uh, Sure. Uh, First of all, Bob, your radar as usual is is excellent. there has been a lot of back and forth on this issue behind the scenes, really going back to, to the late spring, uh, right up until the current date. Um, essentially, you would describe it as some people um, taking uh, the approach of the old adage, never let a crisis go to waste. Um, the migration... <laughs> yeah, yeah problems on the southern border have uh, created a a dynamic within the Biden administration uh, to where they're looking for a solution. uh, And Vice President Harris was appointed to study the root causes of the migration issue. And one of the assumptions that they are working under is that if we can improve economic conditions in Central America, Uh, not as many people will have the desire to start walking uh, north uh, towards the uh, uh, U.S. southern border. Um, With that in mind, uh, apparel brands and retailers and and importers have flooded uh, her office, uh, USTR, and, and many offices on Capitol Hill with what they deem to be the solution Uh, which is to rewrite CAFTA uh, and to eliminate the rules of origin that were structured under the agreement in the textile and apparel field, meaning uh, they want to eviscerate the yarn forward rule. Uh, For those who are not familiar with yarn forward, uh, it essentially says that if you want to ship apparel, for instance, from Central America to the United States duty-free, the yarn has to be produced in the CAFTA region. The fabric has to be produced in the CAFTA, I'm sorry, the CAFTA region. And of course, the final cutting and assembly needs to be done in that region in order to get the duty preference. Um, <clears throat> that concept 
of rewriting the CAFTA rules uh, actually got a little bit of traction, a decent amount of traction in the early stages of discussion, this discussion back in the spring. But I'm pleased to say, at least from my perspective, that the more that the vice president's office and USTR and even some folks on the Hill studied this, the more they recognized that doing that would, would not solve the migration crisis by any means. And, and actually it would exacerbate the problem because of some of the disastrous uh, side effects. Uh, the first of which uh, would be uh, that the US would lose about three and a half billion dollars in yarn and fabric exports uh, to the CAFTA region. Uh, the, those US uh, exports would be almost immediately uh, replaced with Chinese yarns and fabrics. And as we all know, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about later, uh, that brings an extra layer problem in that at least in the cotton area, uh, those Chinese yarns and fabrics are likely tainted with slave labor um, uh, practices. Uh, secondly, uh, changing these rules would put a huge chilling effect on investment in the region. If I'm a US yarn producer and I'm going to invest $100 million in Central America to to spin yarn, why would I do that if you change the rule and you force me uh, to, to have to compete with subsidized Chinese yarn and fabric within the CAFTA region? And then third, what people don't realize is that <clears throat> we have many preference programs in the Western Hemisphere. We have a Haiti program, of course we have uh, USMCA, which is the new version of NAFTA. We have a Chile and Peru free trade agreement. And all those countries compete uh, directly with, uh, with the CAFTA countries. And if you supercharge CAFTA with a weak rule of origin, uh, Haiti is going to lose millions of dollars of, of apparel exports to the U.S. Mexico is going to lose millions of dollars of exports to the U.S and you're just going to reconfigure the migration problem as opposed to solving it. So um, a lot of noise about this, and there are some in the brand and retail sector that are still pushing it. But in the last two or three weeks, we've seen some signals from the White House that they understand that this would be a real, real problem to, to rewrite those rules. Yeah, and Augie, you know, just kind of as a follow-up to that, um, you know, and you mentioned with USTR and some other stuff happening, and I know recently, um, I think it was Thursday, that the uh, U.S., um, the Chinese Economic Commission released a study on things that were happening and, you know, what was going on there. So how do you feel or what do you think is going on um, or how do you feel like we're handling with the issue of Xinjiang with the cotton? Um, do you think that, you know, we're making strides. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, some of the things from there. What are your thoughts around that? Um, well, Jennifer, I'm, let me say I'm pleasantly pleased, a little bit surprised at, at uh, 
how firm the Biden administration has been on this issue to date. Uh, the reason I was apprehensive about it uh, is that uh, this White House has had a propensity to overturn just about everything that President Trump initiated or, or was conducting during his four years uh, in power. Uh, and this is one of the few exceptions. Uh, the, the Uyghur Xinjiang um, uh, embargo, um, the Biden administration has reaffirmed this policy they did so publicly, I'd say back in May, uh, and they have not shown uh, any signs of weakening or undermining uh, the U.S. position. Um, and as a result, uh, I do think it's having an impact. I, I do think uh, brands and retailers are... Uh, uh, almost in panic mode in a sense about the possibility of being entangled uh, in what is a completely unacceptable situation of, of buying goods made, uh, made by uh, slave labor. Uh, it's one of the reasons they were trying to rewrite the CAFTA rules. Um, mm. uh, if I can't get it directly from China, uh, let's see if there's a backdoor arrangement to still get subsidized inputs from China that no one's going to relate to or tie back to the Xinjiang problem. Um, where I would say, uh, Jennifer, there could be an improvement is that the direct exporting of cotton product from China uh, is one aspect of the problem. Uh, the second is China selling yarns and fabrics to satellite countries like Vietnam, Indonesia, uh, Cambodia, that are made uh, with Xinjiang uh, cotton. And we really need to start cracking down on third countries who are uh, shipping these goods uh, to the United States because um, in essence, uh, failure to do so uh, is condoning the, uh, the atrocious behavior that, that's taking place in Western China. Yeah, and Augie, do you think that um, we have in the textile space maybe made some strides for working on the traceability, transparency of that supply chain. So I know one thing with our E3 program, we work very, very hard to do is traceability. Every bale, what field it came from, what went into making that. You know, we do work with some partners downstream, um, the merchants and others, you know, to certify some of the bales that we can, that we know are, that are being sold and exported to certain countries. Um, but I still feel because we've talked to a lot of brands, a lot of retailers and a lot of others, and we kind of get some of that pushback of, well, I mean, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's, oh, man, it's going to be expensive to change our business practices. Oh, I don't really know. Oh, I don't really think I need to do this. So do you think that there are going to start being a little bit more tougher crackdowns and a little bit more, hey, you've got to get your this supply chain some more transparency, the more, you know, in that? Do you see some of that potentially coming? 
Well, you you really framed what is the the critical sort of point here. Uh, good step by the Biden administration not to backtrack from the original Trump embargo. A mm-hmm. good step to publicly reaffirm it. But there is definitely a, a higher level that we can go to. Uh, I mentioned cracking down on third countries, but really uh, taking a concerted effort to not only seize goods, but do a PR campaign around this because there's one thing that brands and retailers cannot afford, and that is the public relations damage and the hundreds of millions of dollars that it would cost to attempt to restore your uh, your PR reputation um, if you are publicly identified and publicly entangled in this problem. If we can convince the administration to really get aggressive in, the, in that sense, this problem will have a a self-resolving aspect to it uh, because the brands will will diversify on their own to a large degree, knowing uh, that it's just not worth the the cost. Now, when I say the brands will, there's always going to be a subset who won't. Mm -hmm. They're addicted as you inferred, they're addicted to artificially priced goods. Mm-hmm. And in China, that artificial pricing, it starts all the way at the fiber stage. Mm-hmm. When, you can, when, when you can harvest your cotton for free, <laughs> yeah, that's an enormous <laughs> advantage that yeah. finds its way all the way through the production stream. Um, but it's not just the fact that you are uh, your cost of uh, cotton production is uh, uh, ridiculously low. They also subsidize their trucking. They subsidize yes. their yarn spinning. They subsidize their fabric formation. Of course, they subsidize their apparel production. They didn't give rebates when products are exported. Um, China is is demonstrating to the world that when a central government partners with industry in a seamless fashion, that they can dominate manufacturing and dominate global markets to almost any degree they desire. And you're you're um, right, Augie. And I think that's the one thing that I've worried um, because I know when this, you know, the study was first published and things came out and was kind of brought to light, um, as you said, yep, we, we're still standing to say, yes, we're against it. But now I, I kind of worry that we've not, we, we've said we're against it. Where's the accountability of those who haven't? And are we waiting for something else to, or brands or textile, are we waiting for something else to come out to kind of take the space in the headlines to push this in the back. Um, and that's what I worry is maybe what's happening. You know, we're going to continue to do this. Well, we'll find a different way to get this. Um, we don't really have a formalized 
verification, certification, you know, space there. And so is it a, well, we'll just hold this until we're forced or until something else takes the headlines. And, and Jennifer, I share those concerns. You know, this is a fascinating yeah. case study in what the modern world is going to look like with China as a superpower. Yes. China has refused to cooperate on this issue. They've been mm -hmm. intransigent at every turn. They're essentially saying, this is an internal issue. Be quiet and look the other way. And Europe, for example, has caved. Um, they haven't uh, taken any substantial steps that I'm aware of, similar to what the US has done. But it has created a crisis point here because we implemented the ban. China has essentially said, we don't care. And we are not going to help you trace these products. Now the ball is back in the U.S. government's court. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to intensify your enforcement? Well, if I'm a, a brand or a retailer, I'm watching very carefully because, as you said earlier, some of them are like, do we really need to do this? And they aren't going to do it unless they feel like uh, there is no other choice. But uh, E3 and the domestic textile industry offer a perfect solution. Are you worried about the sustainability, the labor practices of your fiber all the way through your product? Well, grow the cotton here yeah, and ship it to a textile plant in, uh, in the United States. And if you can't find cutting and sewing, do it in, in the hemisphere and you've got a 100% a, a traceable, definable production chain that allows you to not only market your product uh, in an honest way as being fully sustainable, but also allows you to sleep at night. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> when there are billions of dollars at stake, I, I know people don't care about about uh, resting easy, but um, uh, that's the answer to me, um, as opposed to taking this chance of did our supplier in Asia actually have their hands uh, right? Yeah. Augie, to go back to an earlier point that you made, do you think we're going back to is history repeating itself? We're going back to a time of great power competition economically and politically? I, I do. And it, it, it's something sadly that you could see coming 30 years ago if you really were looking for it, number one. And, and secondly, something we have subsidized here in the United States. We have made China a superpower. Um, I saw an interview of, uh, with the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, at the Pentagon about a month ago, 
And he was talking about the incredible acceleration of China's military prowess and that 40 years ago, they were a peasant army today. They are a force to be reckoned with. And <clears throat> my reaction was, and who yeah, enabled who them enable, to do yeah, exactly. that? When you give them $400 billion a year in trade surpluses, and you allow them to amass the capital reserves that they have, they're the largest holder of capital reserves in the world, they're going to increase their political power, their economic power, their military power. And uh, now we're facing a, a, a real situation where China is essentially daring the world to challenge them. Um, Hong Kong, a year ago, they're now agitating on Taiwan. Of course, the, the Uyghur issue, they're essentially, uh, essentially being completely dismissive. And you've got the Olympics coming up in less than a year or a year from now, where China is daring the world to say, um, uh, or, or daring the world to try to reprimand them. And, uh, you know, if this doesn't have 1936 connotations, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, it sure does. does. That, it sure does. I mean, it, it's incredible. Uh, every Western intelligence agency and every reputable news organization has concluded that China is forcibly relocating, re-educating, forcibly uh, uh, making these ethnic minorities engage in, in, in slave labor practices, even to the point of genocide. And the world is essentially saying, well, there's money to be made. <clears throat> So uh, I guess it's okay. Um, and it's, it's a sad indictment on the West as, a, as well as China as to what's going on. But Bob, I agree with you. China is going to challenge the West on every front, including economically. Um, and um, right now, the, no one's pushing back to a degree to where uh, where there's been any repercussion for them. Uh, so, you know, why wouldn't they continue to push? Yeah, and um, so again, I know we're about out of time, but I do have um, one other question. I'm going to jump sure. into your wealth of knowledge. And, um, you know, we've talked about CAFTA. We've talked about um, the situation um, with the forced labor and what's happening there. But do you see any other textile-related issues that maybe as Congress is winding up 2021 um, that, you know, and then going into 2022 that potentially um, could be on the agenda or, you know, on the radars of those in that in the textile space? Yeah, um, Jennifer, there is an issue that's unresolved. It's, it's called the generalized system of preferences and that's duty-free treatment that the U.S. unilaterally gives to the, the least developed countries uh, in the world. And uh, GSP 
needs to be renewed. It's a 45-year-old program that's expired and, and, and they are going to try to renew it here by the end of the year. And the brands and retailers are trying to expand to include textiles and apparel. Uh, textiles and apparel have never been covered by this program because of it, the sensitivities in terms of trade and because some mm -hmm. of the least developed countries, while they're poor in, in many aspects, some of them are apparel exporting superpowers. Bangladesh, for example, Cambodia, for example, they don't need extra help in accessing the U.S. market. But again, the brands and retailers are—they uh, never lose an opportunity or, uh, or overlook an opportunity to try to get product made in Asia and shipped to the United States duty-free. And so, actually, their request to expand to include apparel is one of the reasons GSP has been held up. Um, and whenever you have an end of the year type situation with Congress, they look to do a bunch of things in the last week before they, they formally recess. And the, the US industry is gonna need to be diligent that they don't try to slip that uh, expansion through in the that would be coal in our stockings uh, right before Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Well, Augie, we'll definitely um, have to have you back before the end of the year and after this. So we can um, definitely see what was able to get through, not get through. But um, appreciate so much you taking time to be here um, with us today. And, you know, Bob as well. And I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for such a great discussion. Um, and Augie, if any of our listeners have any additional questions on anything from today's episode, what's the best way for them to reach you? They can reach me uh, via email, uh, and that's Augie, A-U-G-G-I-E-S-R-G at gmail.com. Uh, and I do my best to, to try to respond to them. Well, wonderful. Well, again, thank you. Um, and I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for joining us and hope that you enjoyed our show. Should you have any questions about the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program from BASF, please email me at e3cotton at basf.com. Also, please visit us on Instagram and Facebook at E3 Sustainable Cotton. Thanks so much and see you next time.